is a Philosophers and Mad Men podcast. Josh Moran, Dave Puppin. Oh, I'm going to talk hey. for him today because uh, I don't trust his ability. Our guest <laughs> is Jesse Krause. He is an owner of a coffee shop in Buffalo called Typico Coffee. And we have him on today. We're going to talk coffee, uh, which I'm super into. Obviously, Jesse is. Dave likes coffee a lot as well. So, uh, want to say hi? Say what's up? Hey, guys. So, um, our podcast is kind of about people who are really passionate about what they do. I wanted to get you on the podcast because, um, you know, we've had some exchanges over the past few months just about coffee in general and just kind of what you you have going on here at Typico. So uh, why don't you kind of let people know just uh, what you took the name Typico from? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes, yeah, appreciate it. Um, Typico... So yeah, we opened four and a half months ago, I guess. Um, I moved here from... Uh, Seems like a bunch of places. Uh, started in coffee in Chicago, moved to Ithaca, New York for a year, moved to Santa Cruz, California for three years, three and a half years, um, all with my wife. Um, we got married, and then three months later, it was like, let's move to Ithaca, and then let's move to Santa Cruz. And um, In Chicago, we moved every year. We basically lived there. Like We never signed a multi-year lease. You never signed a, never re-signed a lease. We moved every single time, so... Our whole life so far has been basically like trying to figure it out, trying to figure what um, our life looks like together. Mm -hmm. Um, And luckily, you know, she's in academia and I'm in coffee and both those things are slightly transient. You know, you can um, go just about anywhere and there's some sort of uh, academy, whether it's college or university or private institution. and then, you know, just about anywhere, there's coffee. Yeah. There's coffee houses, there's coffee shops, there's coffee roasteries, there's um, places, cities where there's not much. And so, you know, moving to Buffalo, I wanted to open my own cafe. Um, and I've been dreaming and thinking about Typico for a long time. Um, there were, you know, names five, six years ago that I was trying to conjure up that were more in the, um, like, molding kind of idea. Um, like workshop and workbench, workmen type mm-hmm. thing. Um, there's something like absurdly masculine about like work something and workmen, workbench. Sure. And I yeah. and I'm not extremely masculine. I'm not a. <laughs> I'm not like I don't bathe in testosterone every night. Yeah. Um, Bummer for you. Yeah, that's I know. unfortunate. <laughs> I know. You smell that? I know. That's man. <laughs> but uh. uh so I, I need, and I, I, I've been dreaming of something that was very approachable and super empathetic to customers, um, and had like just a lack of uh, pretension to it. Um, and regardless of what I was going to do, I knew it was going to be a little bit pretentious. Like it sucks. Like coffee is very, very cool and, and very vogue right now, and it's hard not to uh, when you learn about something in depth for it to come across at least a little pretentious. When your prices are more than these, from the Tim Hortons or the Starbucks or the something else, it it comes off. Someone's going to think it's pretentious. Sure. Someone's going to think that it's hipster. Someone yeah. is going to think it's something that it may not be. Um, so um, my last job in Santa Cruz, uh, I was a I was the head of coffee for a company that was, um, you know, in the mid size. They're still a small business. Um, they still have bank loans, SBA loans. They have small investors. Um, and uh, but they had three coffee shops in Santa Cruz, California, and they were just expanding to Los Angeles. Um, they uh, a really rad company. They 
kind of embodied Californian sensibilities. Surfing was a big thing to them. Mountain biking. Um, it was becoming a lot more of a lifestyle brand than a um, coffee company to some degree, though. Um, and uh, which is very, very Californian thing. That's an extremely Californian thing. It's you're selling brand rather than um, substance. Uh, in this case, I would not say ventured completely away from substance, but. Um, you know, it's I'm I don't consider myself Californian, and people knew every single day they outed me as a non-Californian every freaking day. Yeah, like you'd just be walking down the street, and they're like, "Hey, why are you wearing a button down today?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I'm just wearing clothes. Yeah. These are my clothes. You don't like to wear shirts in California. Yeah, well, it's, there's a, a distinct abundance. Yeah, of no people. shirts, board shorts, uh, flip flops. I didn't own any flip flops. Like, not that I like hate flip flops, but. I don't. I don't. Still like wearing them. Like wearing shoes with laces. Uh, Vans are the only shoes that anyone would wear. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but my job was really awesome. Um, I got to buy um, three million dollars worth of coffee per year. So um, you could do that in a lot of ways. You could do that over the phone. Like sure. you could call yeah. someone and say like, Hey man, uh, looking to make a big transaction with you. Can I get mm-hmm. the best coffee you got? <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah, and then and then sure, like, sure. you know, I'll need this, blah blah blah. You know, I need a Brazil and an Ethiopian, this and this, and then they'll sell you coffee. You could do that, and um, that's how typically every company did it uh, 15, 20 years ago. That's how you had to do it. You had to make a relationship with someone who had access to coffee. Now the, the world of coffee has become not just at fingertips, at um, you know, it's it's a plane ticket arri- uh, away, a plane ticket away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while that's uh, really cool and it's it's making a globalized product uh, almost like more globalized I guess in some way like there's a, a, a bleeding of cultures there's a like combining of cultures across the whole thing um, where you can you know Skype a Guatemalan farmer in a rural town and then go get his coffee um, you can meet him through LinkedIn um, sure. There's, you know, it's almost too connected. (laughs) That's awesome. It's it's almost too connected to some degree, but um, luckily, uh, when you're part of a pretty cool company, you have access to a lot of people. Um, And my job was to take some of the existing relationships the owner of the company built, um, and then bring some of my new, uh, some some new relationships that I was building throughout my time in coffee. Um, And so. Four months out of the year, I would travel to coffee farms. I would go to Guatemala, Costa Rica, Honduras, um, El Salvador, Panama, Colombia, Ethiopia, and um, go to you know new areas. Sometimes we would go just for collateral for uh, photos, uh, and I would bring like nine thousand dollars worth of equipment down there and take photos, um, which was really fun. It was like really great to just you know, go documents. Um, Mm -hmm. and then other trips were just strictly about tasting coffees because it was end of harvest. The coffees were fresh and ready to go. They're ready to be shipped. And now we need to choose which ones we wanted. Um, and then some of my time down there would be just relationship building, go to drinks with guys, just, you know, enjoy time together and just, you know, make sure that they know that you are in it for the long haul because, um, as much as you would like to think that you know long-term contractual obligations could be good in those relationships, it gets really messy when you add contracts, and it gets really messy when there's no contracts too. Because sure. there's like, if they don't call, then maybe you don't call, and all of a sudden you wanted something, and then they sell it to someone else. You thought you had exclusivity, but you know, 
coffee from one farm is going to change qualities year after year after year, um, whether it's minuscule or large, and you want to have a relationship with them. So if quality is much better than the year before, you can tell them and say, hey, I want to reward you heavily for that. And then if it's a lot worse the next year, you don't want to say like, hey, man, I'm just not going to buy your coffee this year because, you know, screw you. You want to say like, hey, let's work something out. Yeah, how do we figure out like to to bring this coffee up to the level it was at previously? Or like, hey, I can buy it this year, but it needs to get blended into our dark roast because it's just not tasting that great. Um, (laughs) It's um, not that good. And it's, it's tough, but, you know, like, those relationships are tough. Um, but one of the greatest things about that whole job was traveling all over the world. Um, and one of the things that struck me was uh, in Central America and in Latin America specifically, their food, um, they call comida tipica, just typical food um, in translation. And comida tipica, uh, for short, they call tipico. And tipico um, is... Uh, you know, basically they'll they'll refer to restaurants specifically as typical. Like, um, hey, do you want to go get uh, there's a barbecue place, there's a pizza place, or there's typical. And my op- my option always would just be like, hey, typical, because one, it's like three times cheaper, and <laughs> like it's it's the food of the place. It's yeah, right. it changes wherever you are. So if I was in Colombia, it'd be different than if I was in Costa Rica, uh, and it'd be different than if I was in you know, West Costa Rica versus East Costa Rica, depending on what's available, um, which I loved. I loved that I could get, you know, this agua fresca, which is their juices in this part, because that's where this fruit was grown. Um, and I loved that. And it was really great. It also is something that people do and eat every single day, um, which uh, I, living in the United States, there's no shortage of restaurants and we have no regional food anymore. Like, you know, Buffalo is one of the rare places that has actual regional, like, food. Mm-hmm. We have beef on wax, we have uh, buffalo wings, we have probably a few other things that are uh, very, very, very buffalo. Loganberry. Loganberry. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Loganberry is, Loganberry is straight Canadian. I don't know. If from Crystal Beach. Sure. Uh, from the, the theme park that was in Fort Erie. Okay. No, this... Buffalo North. Buff- yeah, North Buffalo. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a lot better if it was carbonated. That's just my opinion. You know, I'm a huge... That's just my opinion. You know, sidetrack real quick. Put a little bit of 7-Up. Okay. And the Loganberry. Boom. Yeah, because it's so, it's so sweet. It's delicious. It's... The, the flatness is so surprising because it comes yeah. in a can. Yeah. yeah. It comes out of a soda fountain. Very yeah. weird. Yeah. But put some 7-Up in it and you got yourself a I used to do like orange juice and... Yeah. Um, Ooh, it's not a bad idea. I mean, it's not a great idea. It's like a... It's when your dad says you can't have any more cans of soda and you try to figure out a way to like get around sure. it. You're like, oh, dad, it's seven up, man. Bro, seven up and orange juice. I'm drinking yeah. juice, dad. Drinking juice, dad. You don't know. Um, but to make a very long story uh, kind of come, come to an end, Typico, uh, I wanted to name it uh, my coffee shop that, my cafe that, because I wanted it to be a place where people came every single day. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be the expensive place you only go to on the weekend. Um, and judging by our customers already, it's definitely a place people come to every day. Yeah. Um, it's not, we're not as busy as I want to be yet, but the customers that come in, I look at our, um, our credit card transactions are monitored on Square and uh, we have days where it's like 80% return customers. And while that's not great for the new customers, we need more new customers, but that's amazing, like, you know, repeat customers. So people that come here love it so far. Yeah. Um, I was here yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was <laughs> I was here the other day. Yeah. The, the first time I got my card swiped, I got an email with the receipt, and I was like, "Whoa! And, oh, and they that's, know." That's that's, that's the, the the cloud. I don't even know what that is. Like yeah. I I don't even have to set that up. It just really? does that. That's rad. That's just Square. Yeah. That's that's just your credit card knowing your email address. Yep. That's which is the weirdest part, weird. in my opinion. It's even weirder for me because uh, I share a bank account yeah. with my lady, but the card is under her name. Uh huh. So. So she knows everywhere you go. So every time I go to Tipico um, and I use my card, she's like, "So you couldn't." Be bothered to get me a fucking coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, she gets the email yeah. update that says That's I was funny. here drinking coffee, whatever, <laughs> and none came home. So you know. whatever. But no, you know when before you opened, um, I work right down the street. For those who don't know, you know, and Josh was right down the street, so we're close. We're in close proximity daily. I would walk by this empty building, and every time I would walk by it, like it took me a while to discover it because. I didn't really venture too far from the building. But when I passed it, I would walk by it alone and be like, I'm going to fucking buy that place. Like, that shit would be cool as a cafe or a restaurant. And I would say this day in and day out. And finally, my girlfriend was like, oh, yeah, there's a cafe going there. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Mainly because I wanted to get coffee while I was at work. But who doesn't? I'm glad that a cafe opened because this area in general lacks yeah few it lacks a few things but the one thing it was severely lacking was coffee in just coffee in general just yeah. the, the access to it you know I could walk down to Delaware and Chippewa and get Starbucks but that's eh, that's a little, that's that's a Starbucks not to say anything wrong with Starbucks across the street from that spot mm-hmm. across the street from that spot yeah it's funny it's funny that you're how you're wired because I would have said well, you were like Delaware and Chippewa, and I was like, Spock coffee, but then you said Starbucks. You know, like, my girlfriend used to work for Starbucks. <laughs> okay. Fair so, yeah. like, the pound of coffee, she used to get a pound of coffee a week for free. Yeah. And I think what she did was to make sure that she kept, like, she held on to me, was pounds of coffee a week. Yeah. Like, hey, Dave, like, I know we just started dating, but here's a pound of coffee. And eventually, nice. our counter, when we moved in together, we had a rack like that, just filled with coffee. And I was like, we have to stop. Yeah, we don't need any more. I can't. I honestly can't drink. We you probably don't need still that. have some. Yeah. So we're not going to drink it, but there's some that's vacuum sealed, maybe. Yeah. But regardless, the, <laughs> seeing the building, I was like, please be coffee, please be coffee. It. Uh, I'm. I'm very happy we opened here. Um, yeah. It's a. It's absurd. Um, I found this building by happenstance. Um, I uh, was. I had just moved here in end of June. 2015, and I wanted to open a business, a uh, coffee shop, coffee roastery, coffee business. Mm-hmm. Um, there were like multiple kind of arms to my business plan, but uh, I was just working on capital when I moved here. And I, uh, um, we were living with my in-laws who are in East Amherst, um, and my wife and I were kind of trying to figure out where we wanted to live. It's very opposite um, of where we're located now. What do you mean? East Amherst. Just East Amherst. Oh, East Amherst in, <laughs> in terms of... Different so, than this. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My uh, my greater family from that side is from South Buffalo. So there there's definitely, like, grit in their in their veins, which is good. Because um, if they... Uh, you know, as lovely as East Amherst is, it's, <laughs> it's a very different place than... Uh, For sure. ...than here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back when they moved there 30 years ago, it was mostly car- c- cows and, and uh, 
farm country. Now it's definitely not country. There's still like beautiful parts of it. Like if you drive, like there's Getzville and mm-hmm. it's very, very oh, yeah. odd. It's a kind of beautiful area. Interesting place. You yeah. Know, you, but yeah. homes, cows. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we were out there and we were trying to figure out where we wanted to open and uh, know where we wanted to live. And uh, we we found a place on uh, Craigslist and it was just a block away from this location now. Um, and we went to go visit it. I was trying to talk up to the uh, landlord how, you know, I know that I'm unemployed, but it's cool. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. I'm a business Bro. owner. Yeah. Even though, obviously, I had I only had aspirations, really, of being a business Sure. Um, so I was just, and he was like, oh, that's great. And he was just excited because I think he had, he had not been getting many bites on the, uh, the apartments he had for rent. And um, I was mentioning coffee, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you know, there's a cafe down the street. They're looking for a tenant, you know, and I was like, "Oh, cool." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you hear some of that, and you're like, okay, thanks, yeah. whatever." Uh, and then um, we were done, and he's like, "Hey, do you want me to go show you?" And I was like, "Sure, yeah, why not?" So we went down, and um, it was this. Uh, I remember driving past it or walking past it when we went to go walk um, to the apartment, and it's this beautiful, you know, window-filled corner unit, and I was like. What is that? Like, why is it there, and what's going on, and why does it look so beautiful when it's vacant? And I see present cobwebs, and like, what's wrong with it? What's going on? And he showed it to me. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I looked into it. And I kind of, you know, just peered deeply and thought of it. And I was like, ah. And then uh, a neighbor walked by, and um, he runs community gardens in the area. His name's uh, Gail. And uh, two reasons I was kind of infatuated with the guy because my grandfather's name was Gail, mm-hmm. and uh, was he was a gardener and a winemaker, and uh, then um, uh, on top of it, he was just so nice. He was just so lovely, and he literally walked us. He spent an hour with us, walking us to community garden after community garden, like feeding us mulberries that were just coming up. And I was like, this is amazing. Who is yeah, this yeah. guy? Who's this this magical? gardening fairy that's bringing us around places and I like started to fall in love with the idea of this neighborhood even though I felt um, a little bit still confused about this neighborhood because um, you know the what people tell you about the west side is that it's dangerous yeah Um, and it's just confusing because Mm -hmm. I lived in Chicago I lived all over Chicago I've been mugged been broken into while while sleeping in my apartment Uh, like I've had plenty of things happen to me um I'm not like, you know, I'm not a timid person that is afraid of city life. Sure. But moving back to Buffalo to an urban environment after I've been in California, it's, you know, there's still, there's a learning curve again. Yeah. I was like, got here and, you know, everyone's like, oh, the West Side is dangerous. Yeah. Don't so, go. Yeah, just do not. Yeah. You don't want, you don't know what's up. And yeah. uh, so being over here, I was like, oh, well, I feel like. These are all like old Italians that have owned properties for thirty years. Yeah. What yep. I'm confused. Like yeah. just what's confusing about what's dangerous about this area? Um, and so uh, I left, and I had gotten the uh, the guy Gail's number who had um, showed us all the community gardens, and I was thinking about this place, thinking about this cafe that was there, and I was like, but the parking's terrible. There is no parking. Mm-hmm. Does that matter? It's in the middle of a neighborhood. Yeah. <sighs> I heard the landlord is like super particular and I was just thinking 
is it worth it? I don't know. Um, and so I just, I just got, I called Gail. I got the name and number of the landlord here and I called him up and like two days later, no, like that night he was, uh, called me. He's like, so tell me about yourself. And I told him and he was like, do you want to meet tomorrow? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we met that next day, showed my business plan. He was like, you're exactly what I want here. And um, turns out he had been looking for a, and holding off on getting a tenant for a year and a half, two years till I found the right one. So the fact that I got like in the door, I was like, what? Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's man. cool. What? So and it just kind of rolled downhill. It was really downhill in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always say, I, I always you. say that. I say, I always <laughs> go like, then it's downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like in a good way, like yeah, rolling down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like things right. got started. Like riding yeah. your bike down the hill. Yeah, it's a yeah, good yeah. Time. You don't have to pedal. Not like oh shit. Down <laughs> like it's not shit running downhill. Yeah, it's good stuff. And just went downhill from there. Oh god. <clears throat> That's really cool. You know, recently you hosted an event, which I don't know if that was your first. No, the first event that I heard of was here was the latte art contest. Yeah, which is really cool. I'm just when we when Josh and I showed up, we were the two people in the building who were like, "Where's the lot?" Okay, it's oh, it's been over for an hour. Okay, well yeah. we're close. It but did go. It did for you know. In in your defense, it went um, a lot quicker than we thought it would. Sure, I've sure. been at them where they're like four or five hour marathons, and this one, I was just really on it. Well, let's we be real. Four to five hours is a bit long for that. Yeah, you'd need multiple kegs. And a pizza break or something. I agree. I, you, yeah. For sure. Nap but session. Probably. What, pizza, that's you know, the most recent event was you were speaking. You know, I don't know anything about it, to be honest with you. Cool. Uh, Josh said, I was coming. He's like, I'm going to that. And I was like, listen, man, I can go to jujitsu at night. Like, I kind of have to go. Mm. But then when he told me that event was happening, I was like, man, I should really do that. So I went to jujitsu. I think jujitsu under the stars sounds perfect. I got choked, though. So oh, yeah. You did? I, I did. You choked out? Not out. No, I won't. Okay. I'll tap before I go. Out. Okay. Yeah. May, well, maybe not the him, but yeah. um, I was feeling woozy this morning. But what? Tell me about that event because I wasn't here. Sure. I want to know about it. Um, it was our third event total. Okay. I think um, the first event was the Watire Throwdown, and then um, I hosted an event with with kind of a Yelp sponsorship in the. Um, uh, it was in Feb. Uh, yeah, February maybe. Cool. I don't remember. But it, it was uh, um, the same class that I just held last week, too. So I held basically two versions of the same uh, event. One was Yelp sponsored, and this one was more for my customers uh, and enthusiasts. Um, they were both like a coffee class. Coffee 101 is what I call okay. it. Okay, cool. Um, uh, one thing that I've been fortunate to get is basically like a life. I've, I've studied under people that are... Um, my first boss in coffee was in Crane's Business Magazine, 40 Under 40, for coining the term direct trade. Um, Ooh, cool. And uh, he was one of the first coffee world travelers. Uh, his name is Jeff Watts, and he was he is the vice president of Intelligentsia Coffee. Um, yeah. And the dude is like super, super, um, ex- like just knowledgeable about coffee. He was a total hippie. Birkenstock wearing, slept on you know uh, burlap sacks of coffee, well after after roasting sessions because he was so enthused with it. He's just like a total, you know, just total enthusiast, uh, um, like spirited person. Um, and uh, luckily he fell into this beautiful thing that was Intelligentsia, which just celebrated its 20, 20th anniversary. And, um, 
but I mean like that was like 15, 16, 17 years ago that he was kind of starting the idea of like, well, where is my coffee coming from? And mm-hmm. I got my first job underneath him. And um, that was awesome. Like to sounds killer. To have to really cool. to have to like meet these guys this guy's standards was amazing and to get the knowledge of him was amazing. Um, it didn't hurt that he just he, we had the same passions. We both loved NBA basketball. We love fantasy basketball. Uh, we still we are still in a league now. I think we're maybe my ninth or tenth year together in this league. It's, it's awesome. Um, we love coffee. You know, I think that's a, a shared experience as well. And uh, uh, rock band was a okay. was a shared okay. uh, yeah. enthusiasm as well. Frustration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, like just. You know, people people say like, you know, after talking to me for 15, 20 minutes, they're like, oh, I didn't know coffee could be that complex. And I don't want my customers to feel like I have that much more knowledge than them. Um, I want my customers to feel like my knowledge is completely open source. If they want to learn how to pour lattes or how to make my coconut milk or how to do anything, I want them to have that information because that's I'm not going to be a business owner who holds their secrets and says, you are not able to see this. Sure. Because I don't believe in smoke and mirrors. I don't believe that you should think that my stuff is valuable because I tell you it's valuable. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that it's valuable and that I'm charging the appropriate margins so I can make a living off of this mm-hmm. and the business can continue while you understanding why it costs X sure. or why sure. it takes this long to get it or why it's not available all year round. Um, so one of the reasons, uh, one of the ways I thought we could do that is a, a coffee class. Um, I used to teach trainees at uh, one of the companies I used to work for, um, and it would be a four-hour class. I sat them, sat them down in my lab, and we would talk about coffee, showed them a slideshow of uh, photos of processing of coffee, of exportation of coffee, grading, and uh, what different farms look like. Uh, and then well, we did it over four or five hours, and then we tasted coffees together. We would look at um, like a helicopter view of flavor profiles, and then a microscopic view of flavor profiles, and, and really just went deep at it. And I was trying to figure out, well, how do we make that um, something that customers could actually be um, uh, like almost you know, really, really like to do and something that they would actually benefit from as opposed to just feeling like, oh, I don't want to go to sc- I got out of school. I'm done with school. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. do this again. Um, and uh, I, th- I think this first one, we were mildly successful. I think it was there was boring aspects of it. There were parts where my brain goes into a tangent and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, but you guys need to know about this really intense you need to know. thing that I want you to tell about, to tell you about as opposed to trying to be general and just give some brief um, rationales for why coffee tastes like this or why it, what it goes through. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had like 50 people show up. Um, we had over, we had 38 like confirmed yeses on, on uh, social media. Then we had 100 interested, which means that there's definitely more people that want to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think one of the reasons they are interested is because it's open source, it's free, it's the uh, shared knowledge kind of idea. Um, and I think that's rare, um, yeah. surprisingly rare for a business to have Super that. Super rare in like, the dog hey, training industry. I mean, very, very <clears throat> rare. Kind of. There's a lot of people in dog training that will share information with you. Mm. You know, we were talking about me going to Australia and doing seminars, and like obviously I'm going to be sharing information. 
but there's also a tremendous amount of kind of secret method, secret technique. This is yeah. my particular, I did this, this is my thing that goes on in that. Yeah. At least dog training, I know for sure. Yeah. This is my proprietary blend of spices. Yeah, exactly. And I give it to dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty they, much. And they obey me. Pretty much. But not yeah. you. Yeah, you can't have it. But you can't know. It's interesting, I know. Someone mentioned actually the other day um, that I'm working with a puppy. And it's amazing what happens. You know, the puppy's just walking kind of like a butthead. And I'm like, here, just let me see the leash. And all of a sudden the dog's like, boom, falls in line. She goes, it's that dog trainer power you have. Mm. Yeah, it, I said, you know what? It's not, it's not a dog trainer power. I've given you all of the information I know. It's practice. It's yeah. doing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, exactly. I, I could attend that course. And then try. I did try to roast my own beans once in my home in a convection oven. Horrible idea. Yeah, bad idea. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, smoke. Yeah, I was. I so what happened was I was reading it and I was like, yeah, roast them. Cool. I put it in. And then I finished reading it and uh-huh. it was like, make sure you have proper ventilation because it's very. And I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. It's a little late for that now. Like, <laughs> but regardless. I was in a, a Men's Health magazine last year uh, for a small. They did like this little coffee expose and. They interviewed me about um, uh, pan roasting coffee. Yeah. So um, uh, I think it goes to show you just how of a purist I am. I I literally working for a coffee company did an interview about pan roasting coffee for men's health. Nice. Uh, That's so cool. if you go if you Google my name or uh, and men's health, it'll pop up. You can pan roast your. I, I used to subscribe to men's health. What, what got me? Pun- yeah. Right. Because yeah. did you see my six pack? Right? <laughs> um, what, what got me interested in it was actually. Listening to, well, first of all, coffee's delicious. What made me think of getting more into it was the fact that I'm much like Josh in the sense that I cannot dip my toes in. Mm -hmm. I have to just dive in, right? Yeah. So it was like, hey, there's a bunch of different ways to brew coffee. When I found that out, I was like, cool, I'm going to buy every method. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure it all out. Yeah. Right. And then I listened to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast with Peter Giuliani. Yeah. By Josh's recommendation, and he said it's like Peter Giuliano. Sorry, Giuliano. Sorry, yeah. I, you know, it's been a while since I listened to it. What's uh, Rudy? Is it's like Rudy Giuliani? That's that's the Giuliani. That's, yeah. yeah, that's Giuliano. Giuliano. Okay. Yeah, fair, enough. Giuliano. fair enough. My my. That's okay. I mean, my he's mistake. Probably wondering Peter, this because he's never near. <laughs> but if he does, <laughs> I can sorry. We are we are friends, so I can send it. Whoa! I can send go. it to him. But yeah, yeah. No, send it to him. But it's it was hearing him talk about coffee, and I was like. Oh my god! This the, the dude is the, the dude like he is him and Jeff Watts who was my boss are like the two of the foremost like like there isn't more you can know is there? And then Peter's like, well, yeah, <laughs> and that's what it was for me. It was like <laughs> this dude just kept going and going. I was like, this is incredible! This is incredible! Yeah. So then you know I just kept going from there, and it was like I need to find out more and more. And then when. I don't want to say typical specialty coffee. You know what I mean? Because that sounds. It, I mean, it is. I it mean, te- is. technically, yeah. Technically, that's what that's what we're serving. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's not. Yeah. Horton's coffee. It's not all your coffee. Yeah. I have. I've had a few cups of the same type of coffee that tastes similar, mm-hmm. but I've never had a cup of coffee. I'm like, that's exactly the same cup of coffee I had yeah, yeah. before. And that's what keeps me interested in coffee. Yeah. But I need to know. Like I. I 
don't say need. I say need, but I do need yeah. to know. Uh, I need to know how it's made. Yes. Spe- Go ahead, sir. Well, one of the things I was going to ask, uh, kind of in the vein of, of both the specialty coffees, and when Dave was talking about all the different ways to brew coffee, um, well, you know, firstly, in uh, your Coffee 101 presentation, you talked about this being third wave coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a term that I had never heard before. Mm-hmm. So um, I was wondering if you could give just kind of like a brief overview of what that was. But also, um, I was probably more interested in knowing how farmers who grow coffee, how do they prepare their coffee? Like uh-huh. What method of brewing do they use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good question. Those are, those are good questions. Um, let's start with uh, the third wave. Um, there's probably some minor, uh, let's say, uh, differences in opinion as far as like what exactly, like which and when and where the third, the waves happened. Um, the first wave is, um, from my understanding, from a lot of people's, it's the kind of turn of the century um, up until the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, the purchase of coffee from a grocery store and it goes into your house. Um, it's canned coffee like Folgers and Maxwell's Maxwell House. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-ground. Pre-ground coffee. You'd, you'd, bring a, you'd bring a can of coffee. It's the um, advent of people bringing coffee into their homes. Um, not just going to a diner potentially to drink coffee, but drinking coffee at their house. Um, and this was like a... It's, it, that changes things, right? I mean, when, when you no longer need... Um, uh, Denny's. Yeah, a Denny's or a... Or a Perkins. A Perkins or a coffee <laughs> shop. Um, something that says coffee shop on the side of it. Sure. Um, when you no longer need that to drink your product or consume your product, um, you know, it'd be like, uh, you know, a communist regime taking all of the coffee and you can only have it at, you know, the, the warehouse down there. You know, not horrible. coffee would lose its, you know, luster, obviously. It'd be like, no one would drink it anymore. Uh, except the black market would probably sell it, and that'd be the first wave, the black sure. market selling it. Um, <laughs> um, second wave was when um, companies like Starbucks, Pete's, and a few other pioneers started to put co- uh, co- country names on the package. So no longer were you just drinking canned coffee, you were drinking coffee from Guatemala, um, or a coffee from Ethiopia. Maybe they had um, specific regions. Uh, they definitely had particular roasts, um, and you could go in and they would be changing and they would start to um, talk to you about preparation and freshness. Um, and uh, it, 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 that changes things. Uh, there's a, yeah. um, sure. well, the Papua New Guinea is only 12 bucks, but the Guatemala, that's $19. And when you start getting into that realm, um, people understand that there's uh, not just differences in um, flavor profiles, but in, in rationale for why they purchase it. Um, so, um, we're, by the way, we're in the basement of Tipico, and there was a mop bucket, and they just kind of look like, I wonder if they're going to hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they yeah, definitely that's hear it. Yeah. We don't edit things. That was the uh, flush. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, third wave um, kind of was the kind of the beginning of people not just purchasing canned coffee or country-based coffee, but um, going to a coffee shop and buying a cup from a specific farm or farmer, um, or buying a particular cup of coffee. So uh, there was more attention to detail from a barista standpoint. Yeah. There was uh, different. Uh, there were different brewing methods. There was. Uh, 
so much more to your cup of coffee. Um, there were uh, clear transparency ideas for where that coffee was coming from. Uh, you know that a uh, your coffee costs more, and you know that there's good uh, supply chain um, uh, ethics, and you understand that the farmer's getting more. And it really just opened up this can of worms because the first two, sure, if you were in the Starbucks seventies realm, I'm sure it felt very, um, uh, I'm sure it felt very special, like and very particular and unique uh, when you were getting a uh, bag of Guatemala. I'm sure that there was a lot of nuance and I'm sure there was a lot of talk about it mm -hmm. while it was happening. But now it feels like oh, and then Guatemalan coffee became something. Yeah. Um, where now it feels like there's so many aspects to third wave coffee um, you know it's it isn't just the brew method it, it isn't just that the farmer's name is on the bag it's not just that uh, roasters are traveling to coffee farms it's not just we're putting coffee into bottles and selling it as cold brew ready to drink cold brew anymore um, it's not just you can go to nearly every city in America and get latte art poured on your uh, latte it's all of that together and it feels so intense and vast now but at the same time 40, 60 years from now, I'm sure it'll feel like, oh, and then, yeah, cool cafe has popped up, and yeah. you get farm, farmer-specific coffee. Yeah. Um, when I, we're, yeah. I so. think for sure there's a lot more understanding on the, on the part of the consumer as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can only speak from personal experience, but, you know, growing up, coffee was just, it was that. It was, the shit came out of a can. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't like how it tasted. Yeah. It know. was kind of weird to It me would way. stunt your growth. Yeah, the way everybody drank it. I am, um, I know the reason why I'm, like, six inches shorter than both <laughs> But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think the more you understand about it, the more you can appreciate the nuance and the depth of whatever it is that you're, you're kind of interested in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely, you can definitely think about it in a, uh, um, like, it just, it's beginning to be more specific, more, mm -hmm. more nuanced, and like, and taking down the, the walls of like, uh, you know, there's, there's X amount of people that have knowledge, uh, and the majority of consumers can't have that. Now it's about really, you know, I would say that the waves maybe, coincide with consumers receiving more information mm -hmm. and that's that's great I mean is, is it all it's not always free it's not always open sure. source information yeah, sure but um, or you know uh, there's not always it doesn't always come without caveats mm -hmm. but it definitely exists and that's great mm -hmm. um, so I'm happy we're in third wave they everyone always keeps talking about oh well what is the fourth wave and when is it gonna happen and yeah I always people grow in their own like hydroponic Coffee trees. I yeah. Your your last question in your email. I, I I'll, I'd like to touch, but uh, sure. Yeah, we'll see. For sure. Um, but uh, and then farmers. Man, um, one thing that's um, not quite. <laughs> oh no! Wait, now you gotta come back. You're on. Oh boy. Yep. Yeah, well, I've done it. What do I do? Talk. Talk about what? Who are you? Say hi. Hi, I'm Sadie. I work at Typico. Hi, Sadie. Hello. See <laughs> um, and uh, so coffee, coffee farmers, um, one thing that you'll find is there's a large uh, dichotomous relationship be between all coffee farmers. There's the extremely rural, poor, um, uh, mid, like no access, low infrastructure coffee farmers. And obviously there's a bunch of in-between. There's tons of in-between, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then there's the European descent, just fine, drives a Range Rover kind of coffee farmer. Um, there's, you know, there's no box that coffee farmer fits into. Um, and uh, they all come from different traditions. I mean, uh, we were talking about East Amherst. You can't blame someone for being born in East Amherst. Sure, right? sure. Like, you can't blame you can. for... Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you can't blame for someone... You can't blame someone inherently for their privilege, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, privilege obviously exists. We are, are three white males. Like, yeah. we have tons of privilege. Born in America. Yeah, yeah. born in America. We have tons of privilege. Um, but at the same time, there's a bunch of coffee farmers who are... Um, you know, completely absurdly happy living, uh, you know, extremely difficult lives, you know, growing a product that maybe their dads or their families or their grandfathers were growing and they're great. You know, they have, they have, they have a wife, they have kids, they're doing great. Um, uh, and you know, there's no reason to question their lifestyle. Um, but, uh, how coffee and globalized society works now is we we are able to see it and it's much more present and uh, we're able to understand their life a little bit more and then where coffee goes is there's okay well have you ever thought about growing better coffee mm -hmm. and now there's access to um, a lot of coffee farmers that there wasn't um, 10 15 years ago for agronomy classes for uh, small lectures about um, organic uh, organic uh, pesticides and herbicides, um, non-harmful treatments of uh, uh, coffee plants, so you can grow better quality, more yields, and um, everything. The access to infrastructure every country has been changing a lot over the last ten years. Um, but what is um, uh, was striking when I first started traveling was a lot of farmers, specifically in rural parts of uh, the the world, um, they had never really tasted their coffee. They don't drink their coffee because uh, their thought process is either pick it and sell it as quick as possible to get a payday, or pick it, give it to an exporter that is then going to grade it and taste it and tell them if it's good or not, and then tell them here's a here's half of your payment now, and then when the uh, when the quality incentives come down the road, we'll pay you another lump sum. If a farmer has the time because they don't have house payments uh, and bills and mouths to feed right now, like they were able to say, okay, I'll wait and you know see if the coffee's good. Mm -hmm. But that could delay that could delay their final payment for the year for another four to six months. And when you don't have a nine to five job and your job is farming and you have one harvest per year, um, a lot of farmers are just not that worried about drinking coffee, specifically the good coffee. They'll drink the like shit that's on the um, on their drying beds somewhere that was like the last pickings of the year, and you know half of it is sticks, and they'll drink that. Or they'll go to the convenience store and buy coffee that is like literally filled in with thirty percent like wheat or straw, oh. and that's what they sell. Like they'll sell that as coffee, pure coffee. It says, but it's like thirty percent wheat. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting you said that. My friend visited Africa. Well, he was in Africa for a year. And I was like, dude, get some coffee, man. And he was like, I can't find any. <laughs> like, the only thing I'm finding is disgusting. Yeah. So it's, if it's you go to airports, you might find, like, good coffee. <laughs> but it's really just mediocre coffee still. Um, the best coffee is always exported. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's what makes money, right? And uh, sure. so on the other side, there are farmers who have 
traditional families in the middle of Panama or Costa Rica, and they have pour-over setups, uh, but traditional ones, like on with cloth flannel socks that are in little devices, and that's a Costa Rican tradition. Um, or Sock they'll brew coffee. French presses. I'm in. Um, I've been to rural farms in Colombia where they were pan-roasting coffee in the same pan that they cook chicken in. And uh, then they brew it, they like mortar and pestle, um, grind it, brew it in like a, a pot and then pour it out. And a lot of farms drink it with tons and tons and tons of, uh, in Colombia specifically, something called panela, uh, which is uh, like bricked uh, sugar cane. So it's uh, like sugar. Yeah. So you get what looks like black coffee and it's really half sugar. And you're like, woo! Yeah, like, woo! Crazy sweet. Um, and uh, because it's terrible coffee, terrible quality coffee. Right. Um, so farmers' brewing methods, they're definitely not worried about. Obviously, there's some farmers that have access to the United States come up every year. Some went to Purdue University, you know. Um, so they, some of those guys are more interested in maybe brewing a French press or a Chemex or this or that. Um, but what they're most interested in is typically... Um, whatever the barista world is geeking out about, okay. um, and because frankly they would they would rather just probably drink coffee, like they're you mean wheat wheat yeah, yes the wheat <laughs> uh, <laughs> wheat <laughs> but yeah I mean it's 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 it, you know obviously to be super general there are you know there's farmers without access that probably don't drink their coffee and then there's farmers with tons of tradition and access and uh, privilege that probably drink their coffee, maybe drink their best coffee. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's super, super different. Um, one farm specifically, one of my favorite places in the world is uh, a farm called Hacienda Carmona in the middle of Antigua, Guatemala. Antigua is a super European um, transient town, old European town. Um, it used to be the um, capital of Latin America. So uh, it's surrounded by three volcanoes in central Guatemala, um, kind of central south Guatemala. And uh, then they had a huge, 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 huge earthquake. And um, no, maybe a volcano eruption. Basically the town was more or less destroyed. Uh, then they created Guatemala City or, or made Guatemala City the capital of uh, Guatemala. And Antigua is now kind of the old world. Um, super cool town. You can go get uh, like bistro food. You can go get tacos. You can go get barbecue, and you can um, go to sports bars. But then, right outside of the gates is this one of the best places in the world to grow coffee. Um, and there's hundreds of farms throughout the area. Um, there are a lot of European descent farmers. Um, one of them is Asiana Cremona, um, and uh, um, they have a mill where they process their coffee called Pucal. And um, in Pucal, it has this great um, old Spanish-style uh, house. And um, I've gotten to go there like three different times. Um, and uh, Maria Zelaya is the farmer and the owner of it. She's like 80 years old, 85 years old. Um, she, has, she, she keeps cows, and she's, uh, she's kept cows for like 65 years. She has a ledger of all her cows. Oh, uh, there's wow. a ledger with the first cow, Primo Rosso. Primo Rosa. Awesome. Um, and like literally with her handwriting when she was 16. Um, they bought the property from the old, I think, um, king of Spain. Uh, like there's some descent of king. The king Dang. of Spain once, I think, owned the property. Damn. And, and they royal. were able to get it. Um, 
uh, and uh, or like governor of Guatemala. Who knows? I don't remember who some royalty of sorts was yeah, like yeah. the owner of it. It's this beautiful place. She has this. She has old roses from uh, that were brought over from France, like old heirloom roses. Um, it's just this glorious, glorious place. Uh, and every time you eat there, they obviously make like way too much food. Just way, way, way yeah. too much food. Um, and uh, Maria will tell you stories about just everything. She's she's so she's one of the most generous people I've ever met. She's just one of the most lovely people. And they always finish the meal with coffee essence. And coffee essence comes in what looks like a little perfume vial. And um, when you have never had it before, you like sit there going like, what? I'm, con- I'm a little confused. You get this little perfume vial, you pour a little bit out into your cup, and then they pass around hot water, and you pour like a third of it coffee essence and two thirds of it hot water. And you drink it and taste it amazing. It's a beautiful coffee. And um, a lot of times she's using her best coffees growing at her farm. Hmm. Um, and you're like, what is coffee essence? And you're trying to, like, is it this distilled spirit? Or, like, is it just growing out of the earth? Like, where yeah. is this? Where is this coming from? <laughs> where do I obtain coffee essence? And uh, turns out it's basically brewed in a, like, Turkish percolator. So it's okay. just okay. really, really, really strongly brewed coffee. Um, and, uh, like, basically imagine, like, me brewing a pour-over filled to the brim with coffee and me pouring like half the water I normally pour through and having a few drips come out the bottom. It would be really distilled heavily, like yeah. flavorful coffee that For would sure. taste terrible and you would not drink it. So you need to add hot water. Um, and uh, this, that, so there's one example of like a farmer who they drink it traditionally and that's how they've been doing it. And it tastes great. It's a really great way to drink your coffee. I gotta do that. That sounds awesome. But most places don't do that. You know, most places don't have a beautiful perfume vial. Because for them, it's it's more cost effective, yeah. or just like more practical, probably, to sell the coffee rather than trying to get yeah. the coffee and brew yeah. yeah. And like, you know, it's it's really it's a really difficult uh, idea to sell to a to a rural, super rural farmer that um, they should learn how to taste coffee and like <clears throat> they should learn how to appreciate their best coffees. Um, because that's not going to make them more money or get them money faster. Um, they still have to go through the same hoops and everything that they normally do. Yeah. Because end of the day, the supply chain is still um, like seven or eight people deep no matter what. Even if it's a direct relationship, even if I'm working with one rural farmer, I still need an exporter. Mm-hmm. Um, I still need the mills that, that process all that coffee. I need an exporter, a licensed exporter to get coffee out of a country. I need a licensed importer to get it into this country. I need dock workers on all sides. I need um, a roaster to roast that coffee and then I need a consumer to purchase it. So if I'm a roaster and I just want to go to Guatemala and say like make a handshake deal with a farmer and buy all of his coffee, I still need a, like a lot of people in that process. So a rural farmer is not going to be incentivized just to sell to me even I'll pay him eight like times more than he normally gets because he's still then there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so it's a lot easier to say like, well, no, 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 this guy down the street is going to buy it all too for like half what you're saying, but he'll give me the money tomorrow and he knows yeah. what to do with it. <laughs> um, so like, you know, not everyone's an expert. They might be an expert with their coffee, but not every coffee farmer is an expert. Um, they might know how to grow coffee and they're trying their best to do it well, but you know, 
they might be doing it terribly because they don't know everything. Um, sure. There's different levels. Like yeah. There is anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they might have the best growing like place in the world. They might have they might have lucked out to you know have been growing up in San Augustine, Columbia, a mountain town in southeastern Columbia, and to have been you know given some land when they were young that would benefit them like that have this emo- most amazing like palette to like grow coffee on but if they're not doing it right then it's still gonna suck so sure sure um but yeah access is a huge thing i mean whether or not coffee farmers are drinking their coffee i bet more and more people like i'll go to coffee farms and uh when i was going to relationships i would bring a aeropress and brew coffee for farmers of their coffee that we roasted in the united states because i think that's a at least a um, small thing you can provide to someone to say like hey I care about the thing that you're doing. I hope you do too, and I hope that you care about our relationship. Here's something that I can give you. Here's what we made together. Yeah, exactly. No, that's good. That's, that's really so, cool. So on that, uh, two questions. Are those paper cups available for usage? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Right. So that we can share this oh, coffee okay. Yeah, we can share this. Intense. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Intense thing. Oh, it's, it's real intense. It's very good. So while this is happening, do you drink coffee at home? Um, Do you make coffee at home? I make coffee every single morning. Yeah. Um, because I have a wife. Um, but I drink a cup of coffee at home every sure. morning. How do you brew your coffee? In a Oops. automatic coffee maker. Cool. Um, cool. With pre-ground coffee. Yeah. Because cool. uh, my grinder broke. <laughs> uh, it is a really good coffee brewer, though. It's a Bonavita brewer. Um, Yes. Uh, is that what you have too? Yeah. Nice. nice. For, nice work. For Christmas. I was, fancy bastards. Yeah. For Christmas, I was like, hey, uh, my dad, my dad is very much, what do you want? Like, I, dude, I'm 30. I don't need, like, if I want something throughout the year, uh-huh. I'm just like, I'm going to go buy that because I'm an adult. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, I did a whole bunch of research and I looked it up and I was like, that's the one I want. And when I got it, the first thing I did was make coffee in it. Oh, like immediately. Yeah. Like I opened it and I was like, yo, let's plug this in. He's like, dude, it's like nine o'clock. I'm like, I don't care. I want to make it. I want to see it. Let me taste it. It's great, huh? It's, it's good. Yeah. It's like a, it's, it's one of the, um, it's fairly inexpensive for what it is. A lot of high end coffee brewers cost 400 to $700. Yeah. Um, and the reason they cost that is because there's typically like a, um, more sophisticated, um, heating element that you have hot water delivery to your coffee as opposed to tepid water delivered to your coffee. Like a Mr. Coffee Pot or a coffee thing that you buy at Kmart probably is delivering coffee, like water to the coffee grounds at like 160 degrees mm-hmm. because it's going through plastic piping that's not heated um, and not insulated so it's just losing heat from sure. the water from where it's boiling. If not, just not even boiling, it's just getting to warmth. <laughs> it's just getting warm. Um, and then it sits on a hot plate so it gets <clears> warm again. Um, but the Bonavita is really nice because it, it gets to about 200 degrees and then gets delivered somewhere within that realm, um, which is really important. Um, it's literally the most important thing from a uh, uh, coffee automatic coffee brewer perspective. Um, is the temperature of the, the water? Is the temperature of the water? Temperature of the water. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. could put shitty water in there too, and that would be worse. Probably yeah. you put like really terrible water, pond water, pond water, pond scum. It's got algae in it. Yeah, then that would not be good either. But um, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Cool. 
So I use a French press. Um, I really dig it. I like that it kind of like keeps all the oils in the coffee. Personally, I like that. Yeah. Um, it's super easy to use. Yeah. And it's kind of like idiot proof to a certain degree. Yeah, the French press is really cool. I was just talking to some people yesterday about it. Um, the French press is one, how most people get into coffee. Yeah. Most people go, like, because they were available at Kmart's and other things 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, you could go purchase one. I bet if you go to, like, anywhere now, you could probably purchase one still. Yeah. You still might find uh, some pour-over things. You might start seeing those places. But for the most part, you know, people still are brewing French presses. Um, it's a, for the most part, non-filtered mm-hmm. version of coffee. Um, and one of the things uh, that's cool about it is you are drinking, um, like, really... Uh, there's a lot of solubles, so there's a lot of, like, brewed coffee in it, but you also are getting solids yep. because it's unfiltered. So you're actually, like, no matter how bodied your coffee is or thick your coffee is, it's even thicker because you're actually drinking solid yeah. coffee. There's too. always some residue yeah. in the bottom yeah. of the cup. And so you are, no matter what, you're almost, like, drinking this, like, thick, yeah. like, viscous stuff. thing. And, and it feels different than brewed coffee. Or, like, if you buy my coffee, it's filtered and through paper, so there's almost no sediment in it, and there's no almost no solids, which you have to rely on your brewing technique as opposed to uh, French press. You can kind of rely on the uh, whole process. Gotcha. So. Now, personally, had I not gotten the automatic, I go through stages of the way I brew coffee in the morning. Sure. Uh, lately, it's been the Bonavita. This is really good beer, by the way, right? It's intense. Yeah. yeah. Um, before that, I was on a huge Chemex kick. Yeah. Huge Chemex kick. Yeah. And uh, to me, the opposite holds true with that. So there's no residue. Yeah. There's no oils. And I, I always describe, the only way I could describe it, because I remember describing it to Josh, I, the only thing I could think of was just saying, it's like, it's a clean cup. It's a clean cup of coffee. And yeah. I don't know how to describe a clean cup of coffee. But you seem to understand what I'm going for. Crystal clear. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, the Chemex was uh, invented by uh, a butcher's name. It's like Martin Schlumberg or something like that. Uh, um, if you go on Sprudge.com, there's an amazing article uh, by my friend Liz Clayton. Uh, she went to go visit the um, uh, production facility. It was purchased by a company in the United States, and they know it's a U.S.-based company. Um, but this Dutch uh, inventor created the... Um, um, now that I'm thinking about the name that I said, it's probably not even close to that. But uh, <laughs> it starts with S C H, I believe, and then an L. So it's somewhere in that realm. But um, a quick Google of Chemex will probably yeah. get you there. It, it is in the uh, permanent um, MoMA um, uh, collection. So it's in the MoMA, I think, as a, like a marvel of uh, engineering type thing. Oh, that's cool. awesome. Um, I mean, the thing, it's just a glass, hand blown glass globe. Yeah. Right, with like a um, uh, tapered top that you can put a filter in. Mm-hmm. It's not much like, there's nothing super like specific as far as brewing. The specific thing about it is the filter. So when you're talking about the crystal clear, really, really clean cup of coffee, the filter is this like huge sheet of paper that they fold and there's uh, it's thick in the first place. So it is like, it'd be like, brewing with like 
almost like a t-shirt. Like it's so thick, it feels like a t-shirt at times. Like it doesn't look like a piece of paper. Um, you you know, if, you, if you're in college or if you're like me, like last week you run out of coffee filters and you have to use a paper towel. Yeah. Like it's not like a paper <laughs> towel. Like if you poured water through it, you are hoping, I hope water goes through this really thick <laughs> piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and on top of it, it's so thick that it has a lot of coffee or uh, a lot of paper uh, physical pieces that when you pass water through it, you'll actually get uh, paper uh, like water. If you drink that, you'll be like, this tastes like paper now as opposed to water. Um, and uh, one of the cool things about the Chemex is that it's really, really hard to brew and it pours really slowly. And yes, so you have to really do this coarse grind. But the restriction of water um, flow allows for the coffee to brew really, really well. And over the course of six, seven minutes, if you're brewing a pot, it uh, filters completely. It'd be like having a like Miller Lite that's filtered 17 times yeah. through proprietary methods, uh, or whatever you know, or Coors that's filtered through the blue ice, mountains, or blue whatever. mountains. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like those beers are super, super, super approachable because they're filtered so many times. And Chemex coffee is, in my opinion, really, really. Uh, approachable filtered coffee because it's filtered so much. Gotcha. Um, but at the same time, it can be really thin and really um, vibrant acidity. So like if you gave it to someone like a novice that was drinking diner coffee last week and had never touched specialty coffee, then I'd be like, I don't need this tea water that you gave me. I would prefer a cup of coffee. Sure. But it's a great <laughs> way to taste an unabashed filtered version of a coffee. Um, I just don't have the patience sometimes. And sure. There are so many times where I forget to change the grind just enough, and it just takes 35 minutes, and you're like, I'm just not. Walk away, and you're like, what the? I remember the first time I opened the box and brewed the first uh, pot of Chemex coffee. I remember just yelling to my girlfriend because she was, to me, she was the coffee expert. I just remember going, Katie, what the fuck? (laughs) And she's like, what? It's taking fucking forever. I want coffee. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, the, then I grew up. Yeah, there you go. I grew up. Then I aged 40 minutes for that first pot of coffee. And she's like, well, did you change the grind? I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> I knew I had to. <laughs> I had a, uh, a siphon brewed coffee uh-huh. not too long ago. That was an interesting process to watch somebody make. Yeah. It was like really bright flavors of the coffee, too. Siphons are interesting, too, because they're, uh, they're bottom heated. So basically, you have a globe on the bottom. You have a, um, a cylinder that goes all the way to the bottom of the pitcher of water, mm. and then you have a heat source that heats the water to um, uh, like boil. And as it gets hot, it wants to leave the heat heated area, so it goes through this small pipe into another vessel that's sitting on top of it. And then typically there's a filter in between those zones, so the water can pass readily. But then once it gets all the way to the top, you add coffee, you brew it for a series of minutes, and then you remove the heat source, and the coffee will be uh, vacuum sucked down into the bottom, um, siphoned more or yeah. less. And um, uh, it's a really hot method to brew coffee. Um, it's uh, so you're boiling water more or less and it's going through this um, top and boiling water even if it seems ridiculous is too hot to brew coffee with um, gotcha. coffee is a fairly delicate um, uh, piece of material and if you have uh, 180 degree water it's going to be too cool 
it'll still hurt if it hits your arm. Sure. But it'll be too cool for brewing the right amount of coffee um, or sol- getting the right amount of solubles out of a coffee granule. Um, but if you have 212 degree water, you will remove the proper solubles too quickly and then get the negative stuff out. Gotcha. So um, in, in the talk I talked about, there's 30% of a coffee bean that's extractable. Mm-hmm. And that means there's 30% of it that can basically melt away and go into a cup of water. Uh, 70% of it is physical and won't remove, won't get removed uh, through uh, through dissolution or through uh, water extraction. Um, you could grind it like a French press and you'll get some into the cup, but for the most part, it's um, not going to be in your cup. Uh, but that 30%, only about uh, 15 to 22% is really tasting good. Um, something below 15, you won't really even taste it. It'll t- taste really, really weak. But over 22%, you'll start getting into the really bitter compounds that are extractable, and it's you start getting into like this actual coffee is a science. It's an extreme science, mm-hmm. but brewing coffee, how I do it, is not necessarily scientific. Um, I don't factor all these things in when I'm doing it. I just know that they're factored into the process, or the Bonavita brewer has those ideas factored in. Um, so you're not performing science when you brew a pot of coffee, but there is science that's happening. There's, um, you know, the ideas of uh, you know, many sciences, uh, chemistry and others to uh, brew the proper cup of coffee. So I think the, the science part can be really intimidating to a lot of people. You know, me in particular, I was a little bit, yeah, I'm smart. Uh, <laughs> in the beginning, I was, I was really intimidated about when I was like, I'm going to roast my own beans. And then, of course, you go on the Google hunt and you're just like, whoa, okay, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just going to try and brew coffee differently. And even that can be relatively intimidating. I remember the first AeroPress. Remember yeah, that? I was there. He was there trying to figure out. Like, I'm looking at these pieces like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. And I'm reading the instructions. I'm like, I, I, YouTube. Yeah. But uh, I actually brought my AeroPress to work so I can brought my AeroPress and I brought yeah. the coffee to work so I can just make a cup here and there. It's great. Um, they're made in um, Palo Alto right outside of uh, Santa Cruz where I was uh, living in. Um, I never got to tour the factory, but I mean, the fact that it's made... The same factory as the Aerobi Disc. The um, it's made by the same company and cool. same inventor oh, as cool. the Aerobi Disc, the uh, the frisbee. So yeah. you know, that's awesome. It's absurd that that brewer is. It's how he wanted to brew coffee. Yeah. Um, his rationales for how to brew on an AeroPress are way off, in my opinion. And if you just do it as if it's a manual press, you know, using hot water, is then that's all you. All you okay. Yeah, if you think of it as like a different version or a manual version of espresso. You're just going to be way off base as far as how getting good coffee off of it. Interesting. <laughs> so, you know, one thing, I used to live in New York. I moved to New York and lived there for a couple months, whatever. My favorite thing in the world to do was walk to Gorilla Coffee. Yeah. Are you familiar with Gorilla yeah, Coffee? Yeah, uh, they were in. Um, uh, Darlene, or I can't remember her name, but... Uh, um, they dissolved recently, um, the past couple of years. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, and uh, she's from here. And she actually, uh, she came in when I was like one month old, two months old. And it was like a random Sunday morning. I was with my family here and I was just kind of like, kind of exhausted. It was a weird day. I can't, I can't remember precisely. Um, and she was in town for maybe Christmas or something. 
Um, and uh, she was like, you're the owner, right? And I was like, yeah. And she's just starting this new venture. I can't remember what it's called at the exact moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that place is iconic for a lot of people. So I would yeah. love to hear what you're saying. I was, I was below. That was my first introduction to a cafe that had different types of coffee mm-hmm. from different regions. And I just, it blew my mind. I spent hundreds of dollars on three packs. Yeah. And since I was unemployed. You spent hundreds of dollars on three packs? Does that make sense? Maybe. Maybe. But, but like, you, you're So a, before you could order online, you could buy three <laughs> packs of their coffees. Yeah. It was three packs. And I would buy them all. I was like, I need all of them. Yeah. When I lived there, I was unemployed. So it was amazing. I would just go to Gorilla Coffee, get a coffee, walk the streets in New York, come back, buy a book, grab a coffee. And uh, I, they, I can't remember what exactly they were doing, but I think they were drying beans. Maybe there. There were beans set out on a tarp. Weird. And I was like, what the hell's happening? Um, the people working there weren't really... Yeah. Who knows? That sounds like marketing. Yeah. It, it probably was marketing. They were like, this asshole just saw the beans. Yeah. He's coming in. Yeah, especially in New York City. He just harvested yeah. these he in New York know. City. He doesn't know. He's one of those guys. But uh, the thing that really struck me was their cold brew. Uh-huh. That's still something I'm interested in. Um, I've never made a cold... I want to I wanna make a cold brew. Yeah. I, don't know where to start. I made a really rad cold brew a couple times with my friend Tyler when we were camping in a French press. Yeah. Yeah, I, just doing French press. I put it in the French press and we were camping on the Battenkill River. So I tied the French press to a tree root in the river and just let the cold river water work for like 24 hours and came back. It was delicious coffee. Huh. All right, so I don't have access to a river or a tree root. It was so, awesome. <laughs> grind, grind coffee, put it in a, uh, even an AeroPress inverted. Okay. So like, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying inverted? Put the lid on inverted. with ground coffee and with water inside of it. Yeah. Cold water. Wait 18 hours. Put the uh, filter and cap on, turn it over and press it out and you'll have cold root. Interesting. It's cold brew is just the idea of brewing coffee, you know, in, with cold water over a series of hours does, or whatever. Does the water have to stay cold because of, you know, no, sure, warm room temperature, temperature yeah. say room temperature? Warm temperature, room temperature is what's normal. Yeah. Um, most cold brews not brewed uh, using cold water. Gotcha. Uh, you may put like cold tap water or cold filtered water in it, but it's typically not brewed with cold water. Putting it in the fridge be a bad idea? Uh, it'll brew more slowly. Um, I got time. Think think about it like <laughs> this. Um, Making pickles. So cold brew has a specific flavor, mm-hmm. um, and that flavor is one part uh, like slow brewed coffee. So it has a lot of uh, like viscosity to it. There's a lot more intensive intensity of flavors. A little more thick. Because um, typically you take a lot of coffee. You don't have like a really normal ratio. You have a lot higher ratio of coffee to water mm-hmm. um, and uh, the flavors are going to be more verging on the uh, like hot heavily concentrated flavors but also there's going to be presence of oxidation and um, oxidation is happening because it's aging right so instead of a cup of coffee that you have and you get it and then within the next 40 minutes you're drinking it you are so it was brewed in four minutes and it was consumed in 40 minutes so the life of your coffee is an hour typically where in turn you're brewing coffee over 36 hours or 18 hours 
and all that coffee is uh, of stuff. Good stuff is evaporating during the process of brewing, but also good stuff is being extracted during that time. And as it evaporates, it's replaced by oxidized flavors. And oxidation tastes kind of like cardboard or a wet bag or, or, or something that's like a paper bag. Um, and if you are uh, not careful, it can taste heavily like that. And so there's this inherent, there's always this slight flavor of, for cold brew, in my opinion, of old coffee, because it's literally 18 times older it than is most old. coffee you are consuming. Sure. So like, it is old coffee. So it's it is old, old coffee. coffee. Yeah. So it's and it does it have to be terrible? It absolutely doesn't have to be terrible. It's it's brewed in a specific manner, and if you think of that, if you think of those flavors as intrinsic flavors to that brewing method, it mm-hmm. becomes a little bit more enjoyable. You know, yeah. if you think about them as negative flavors that happen during that brewed method, it becomes yeah, a little less. Turn, it goes up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So well, you watch. Um, I, I, I will be brewing cold brew for um, uh, the, the summer months here. We'll be That's doing awesome. awesome. But, um, but I'll be doing it in four hours. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you how. Oh, damn. Right. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I have a dog, I'm going to be knocking on the window. Like, yeah, it'll be down here so you won't see. Oh, man. Um, it will be brewed uh, if you hot bloom it. So you add hot water mm-hmm. and then brew, uh, then pour a bunch of cold ice water over the top of it and then let it sit for four hours. It'll brew um, to the same strength. Oh, cool. Interesting. In four hours as opposed to Interesting. 18 hours. So you put hot water into the beginning to like basically get the coffee ready to be brewed and then shock it with cold water. It, it can do an extremely, really great job. And I like the flavor of it a little bit more. It tastes a little more fresh. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And okay. I can, you know, if, if my workers say, hey, shit, we're out of cold brew. And I'll say, well, I need to start a new batch. Get ready. Tell them it'll be ready next tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't work for me or yeah. my customers. So I'll tell them it's ready. Just can you do you have four hours? <laughs> yeah. Can you come back yeah. in four Just hours? Hang out for a while. So that's a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's only four times as old. Dude. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My first introduction to cold brew coffee actually. Um, I I didn't know shit about cold brew coffee. I ride my bicycle. Uh, and I was on a, uh, a bicycle ride with a few of my friends, and uh, we ended up stopping at Wegmans on Amherst Street. Yep. And I went and I got this this jug of chameleon cold yep, brew. Yep, chameleon cold brew. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't read the one of those commercially One of the first commercially available cold brews. Yeah. Um, and I just assumed... It was ready to drink. Oh, it's like it's iced coffee. Yeah, yeah. Dope. Like, this would be cool. <laughs> I love coffee. <laughs> yeah. Sitting outside, and I'm like... Was it this thing, or was it this thing? It was like a, a it was fatty like 40 ounce jug. Was a 40 yeah. ounce jug. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm drinking this thing. I'm going to hand it to a couple of my friends, and they like take a swig. They're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And then my friend Vince grabs it, and he goes, Jesus Christ, Like you're supposed to dilute this. Like, like third. Yeah, yeah three to like, one yeah. ratio water to coffee. And I was like, oh. You know, fast forward 40 minutes, and I'm like having a difficult time sitting still because I, yeah. I was pounding it. But yeah, yeah I really like the I like the flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was nice being able to just pedal for a long time. But yeah, what's what's nice about cold brew is typically you're making a concentrate. Mm-hmm. So you make, you know, you brew using eight pounds of coffee and a few gallons of water. You you make you know a few gallons of concentrate, and then you can make you know fifty to sixty cold brew beverages with that couple gallons Um, and it'll stay decent in your fridge for a couple days Um, most likely you know you brew a pot of coffee 
and we dump our coffee every two hours. Some cafes dump it every hour, every half hour. Um, I, one, am too young of a business to be dumping coffee that often. Mm-hmm. And then two, don't believe that the differences of the fresh pot versus the hour and a half pot are that noticeable sure. um, from a quality perspective, so I don't dump them. But, gotcha. um, uh, you know, you have this coffee that is rapidly losing its quality mm-hmm. versus you have a uh, cold brew that can sit in the fridge for a couple of days. Um, yeah. So there, there are people that only drink cold brew now. Yeah. You know, they want iced coffee, and if it's not cold brew, it's nothing. Fourth wave. Fourth wave. Yeah. Uh, Some people said that the uh, uh, Stumptown bottling cold brew, because Stumptown is, was the one of the first to bottle it. They put yeah. it in this st- um, stubby. It's kind of like red stripe bottles. Gotcha. And okay. uh, they're in they're up in Portland and Seattle. Mm-hmm. And um, now you can, they're in New York City too. I think you could probably get them. I'm surprised Wegmans doesn't have their stubbies because uh, they're that distributed. Interesting. Um, they were like, and then every company was doing it. They're trying to find the next uh, RTD ready to drink beverage and coffee. And they, right, they, right. they thought that was the fourth wave, but it's kind of dissolved a little bit. So Now let me ask you about storing coffee. Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, I gathered from your coffee 101, putting it in the freezer is a no-no. In the short term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to... Um, uh, so there's not tons of moisture in coffee. Mm-hmm. And moisture is bad for, like, a, a product that doesn't have moisture. Um, so, like, the reason, like, shrimp... Like, you have fresh shrimp, and then you put it in the freezer, and then you take it out of the freezer, and it like it's, like, weird feeling. It's gross shrimp. Yeah, yeah. it feels weird. Yeah. It's the only way I can buy shrimp. Because sure. I'm not a rich person that lives in <laughs> I also live in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, so you live with it. But uh, you have, you're freezing the moisture in something and then you're letting it thaw. And when you let it thaw, you're basically, you know, there's still a level of moisture in it that maybe was not there before. Mm-hmm. And um, coffee has near 0%, roasted coffee is near 0% percent moisture. I'm sure there's microscopic levels of moisture in it, but uh, when you freeze it, um, you are basically, you know, freezing everything inside of it. Um, but when you thaw it, it's going to um, be wanting to absorb moisture. So it will absorb moisture. And then it will also go through a rapid, um, as it's thawing, a rapid series of um, aging. And um, they found that in uh, Illy's too. Illy's uh, nitro-flushed pre-ground packages of their coffee um, and they found that after literally a couple of years you open it and for like 40 seconds it was as if this was like just roasted and ground coffee hmm. but after 40 seconds or 3 minutes or 18 minutes 2 days it became 2 year old coffee <laughs> quick <laughs> like it, it, it went it basically was like Benjamin Button like, that shit oh, it, it, it saved all of its amazing qualities Oh no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Oh, no, it didn't. No. But like, how about if you roast it in that first couple seconds? No. 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 Okay. no. Okay. Just it's not happening. Okay. It, it just it just won't. It. Yeah. Nothing. It just it's yeah. And the freezer stuff. Like, if you aren't going to brew the coffee for two years, then freeze it because sure. like you're just going you're going to lose more sitting in the, on your counter than you would in the freezer. The freezer will definitely slow down some of that like m- rapid uh, quality loss. Um, 
The fridge, on the other hand, is full of disgusting bacteria and disgusting things. Sure. Um, I was saying a little bit in the class about fats absorbing odors. Yep. And um, while coffee isn't full of tons of fatty things like amino acids and, and other things, it is full of some um, uh, fats. And it will, and there are lipids in it, so it will take on things uh, like different odors. So if you have an onion sitting next to coffee, it will take on those attributes. Kind of like uh, if your butter stick is sitting out and it's sitting next to a raw onion and a piece of veal, it might take on those attributes. That'd be the fucking worst cup of coffee ever. I, it would be. You know what? Onion ice cubes. It happened yeah. when I was a young kid. My grandma froze onions and her ice maker had, it was just ice, it was onion ice cubes. And I was like, this is the fucking worst. Yeah. It happens, that's, and it's that's, disgusting. That's that. And you don't want that. That's grounds for murder. Um, <laughs> so never put it in the fridge. Uh, store it in an airtight container. I have um, two of those. You because of that. You have two, these, two airtight containers. Two airtight containers. Mm-hmm. I have two big things. Dude, yeah. listen. He is he's passionate about airtight containers, like I'm passionate about coffee. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm yeah. passionate about my coffee. Yeah. I I like my coffee in airtight containers. I'm gonna sell for you. Um, I would uh, storage. I would always just recommend um, buy small quantities of coffee often. So like, okay. if you if you can get there, there are so many. Um, uh, you were asking kind of about like a coffee share. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many like mail order websites now um, that will let you try many different roasters every month. They'll send you three packages of two, three different roasters per month, just so you can try them in small sample packs. Or you can uh, work with the roasters that we work with. Ruby Coffee Roasters has a great subscription package. And they'll send you every two weeks a package of coffee or every month a package of coffee. And, yeah, Ruby's is every month. And you pay them, you know, up front and just you sit back and let it come. And you get to taste that coffee. And, and a month-old month, a month old roasted coffee in a, in a sealed package, I've got no problem with consuming it or yes. bringing in our cafe. Um, three month old coffee I would probably after a month I'll probably I'd get rid of it I'd donate it um, but I would be surprised if coffee lasted more than two to three weeks in our cafe anyway yeah. so cool yeah. I'd like to point out that my Wrecking Ball coffee subscription has come to an end I haven't received it in, a, in exactly 37 days oh so I so think you it's, think they've, they've they caught on yeah they caught and on with the fact that he stopped paying for it like a, a year, year ago yeah. Uh, yeah it's been over a year <laughs> but you know to my to my own defense I did request I did let them well, I tried to let them know like hey like, I'm not paying for this you know and I'm just getting it in the mail like, I'm ju- I haven't had money deducted you're just giving me free coffee don't get me wrong. It's real good. And I like it. But I'm yep. not paying for it. So I feel bad when I drink it. It's like how somehow I get Marie Claire at my at my. I get Family house. Circle at yeah. my house. I, huh. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, Interesting. I get none of that shit. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. You're fucking up. Because well, yeah. let me tell you about these recipes. There's, yeah, there's no reason to get Marie Claire. <laughs> if you want it, I'll bring it. I'll bring it in. Family, family Circle. Yeah. We do a magazine swap. Wrecking Ball Coffee was... Um, First place I ever tried uh, like an Ethiopian coffee called uh, Yergeshev. Yeah, and I yeah. thought that was tremendous. Was you just, you had the roasted. You had at Dave's house the roasted. Oh, no, we are you went. We both bought subscriptions okay. at the same time because of that podcast. Okay, because Peter Giuliano yeah. was like, "This is what you need," and I was like, "Fuck, that's what I need." Cool. Tried it. it was really good. Yeah, yeah. I personally uh, prefer Kenyan yep. coffees a yeah. little bit more. Interesting. I'm. I have to respectfully disagree with you. Yeah. 
Uh, do you have a particular? It's it's funny that you uh, you talked about Yirgacheff, which is a specific region in Ethiopia, and then you made a blanket statement of like, oh, I mm. like Kenyan coffee. Yes, yeah. because obviously Kenyan coffees. Yeah, it's a much bigger that's region. A, that's a, that's sure. a country, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, like, obviously, there's uh, there's good Kenyan coffees and there's bad. Well, yeah. There's good Yiga chefs and there's bad Yiga chefs. But if oh, yeah. you know, then if you got into the you know dissension of the argument of Ethiopia versus Kenya, you know, both are two of the best. Probably in a lot of coffee uh, roasters and buyers' perspective, two of the best countries in the world pr- from production and quality standpoint. So both are two substantially amazing places. Um, if I had to choose where my favorite coffee came from, there are three places I would say my favorite coffee comes from. Um, uh, I like Ethiopian coffees, um, specifically within the kind of southern zones, Guji, Yirgacheff. There's a region to the west called Jima. Those uh, areas, uh, Yirgacheff, I think, is a within a realm... No, there's a, a realm just a little bit to the west called the Oromia um, um, region, and it's a very large, it, it takes up a lot of area. Um, there's a lot of great coffees coming out of Ethiopia. There's a lot of in, incredible regions, and I mm-hmm. love it. Um, the other regions that I like uh, are coffees from Santa Barbara, Honduras. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a mountain in the middle of central Honduras, um, fairly landlocked, you know, uh, Honduras touches uh, um, El Salvador to the south and then touches the Caribbean Sea to the north. Um, so it does have water in one realm, and El Salvador is not a huge country, so if you go all the way to the south, you'll eventually get to the Pacific Ocean. So there are Pacific kind of breezes hitting Honduras, but for the most part, Honduras is, um, in this region of Santa Barbara, is not like readily touching water. Um, and most of central Honduras is not touching uh, water. There's an area called Santa Barbara where there's one mountain, the Santa Barbara Mountain. It has one of the biggest freshwater lakes in all of Central America um, at the base of it called Lake Yehoa. And Lake Yehoa is a huge hotbed of fish activity. I went fishing there. I caught like 18 fish just, yes. you know, in a one, in a little motorboat pole fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would catch a fish every five minutes. Uh, the... the uh, guy who was running the boat was the uh, cousin of a friend who runs a coffee exporter out there and uh, he, he ate all the fish we didn't get to eat it but uh-huh. but it was the it was the tax we paid for sure. driving the boat yeah. and me holding sure. the fishing mm-hmm. rod and catching the first <laughs> fish of my life really I think oh, kill uh, them but um, it was amazing uh, but Santa Barbara is this like super isolated micro region that has in one of us diverse ecosystems because for that huge uh, body of water produces a different region it much less arid kind of area than if you were had if you had no fresh water or no huge lake next to it so all of central Honduras is more or less water free and then you have this area with water and so there's the the cloud patterns are different the um, cloud coverage is different and so there's just this unique flavor profile and it's some of the best coffee in the world um, and there's so many farmers on that mountain and they are all specifically um, selling their own coffee through this amazing exporter down there um, called Bena Pico San Vicente. And San Vicente isolates uh, specific farmers and pairs them up with roaster partners. And it's one of the best cases of what I would say um, the direct trade model could look like. Um, while also it's unique because not everyone should just take that model and say, let's do this. Sure. Um, and uh, 
So that, and then the other region is uh, the country of Colombia. Gotcha. Colombia is just probably my favorite coffees. Um, okay. Just love them to death. Uh, it's one of the most diverse places. Andes Mountain Range runs uh, north to south through it. Um, it kind of zigzags a little bit, and there's just so many veins of the Andes Mountain Range, and that means there's so much mountainous area for coffee to grow, and there's that many mountain regions and mountain villages where there's coffee rural coffee farmers, and so just like this Santa Barbara Mountain where there's tons of rural coffee farmers, there's that magnetite magnet ties times a hundred in Colombia. So you can get little pockets that taste like tropical fruits and then get pockets that taste like red cherries and then get pockets that taste like chocolate. And the diversity of flavor profile in Colombia is huge and amazing. That's so, cool. Very, yeah. very, very cool. That's really interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, because we're talking about strains, the next question I was going to ask was the last one in my email. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so when it comes to something like cannabis, there's a tremendous amount of focus put on different strains and people who are trying to combine strains yeah. and, and create their own kind of flavor profile. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, potentially, you know, a little bit less of a buzz, a yeah. more of a buzz, yep. more medicinal properties, more of this XYZ, more amino acids from this perspective, more mm. organic acids from this perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, coffee, uh, since it's not um, a drug like cannabis, mm -hmm. um, there are people are less interested in the like properties that are um, uh, polyphenols and antioxidants, where coffee has inherently antioxidants, all that kind of good stuff. But we're less interested in straining it and creating strains that are focused on that, and we're more interested in creating strains that will help farmers. Mm -hmm. So um, because uh, cannabis grows really well in um, the United States, mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, there's a lot more, and cannabis, the government is very, uh, very persistent that it could kill you. Yeah. It's a product that could kill you. Mm -hmm. So they put a lot of energy and money into the um, development of uh, the scientific research. Coffee doesn't have, it's not going to kill you. Coffee typically doesn't kill you. Mm -hmm. Almost, I'm not sure if there's any uh, uh, <laughs> coffee-related coffee deaths. deaths in the world. That's a Consumption. something they, it has in common with cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Nobody's ever died. But the government is so oh, convinced. Yeah, for sure. So there's so much research that goes into it, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of money, and specifically as we legalize it, there's a lot of money going into it. Coffee, there's less money going into the research of it. But what, what has had money going into it is the development of varieties and strands of uh, hybrids of plants that will grow best in specific growing conditions. Oh, cool. So in Kenya in the 70s, they found these strands of this heirloom variety, Bourbon, and they took them into a lab and created 80 different varieties that were man-made, um, uh, grafted versions of these different heirloom plants um, with different uh, robusta strands and different species strands that would maybe uh, grow better in arid climates. They were looking for drought-resistant plants. They were looking for high yield and good cup quality. And they've had this doc. They have a great book, this Kenyan book, uh, Kenyan coffee book that shows documentation of flavor profiles of the persistence of uh, disease resistance, the uh, drought resistance of plants, and um, they found two specific varieties that were actually um, both heavily drought resistant 
disease resistant and um, had great cup quality. And those were three attributes that were heavily sought after. So there are many man-made hybrids. There are many nature-made mutations of coffees. And that's why coffee is so diverse. And that's just like wine. There's hybrids and, and uh, hybridization that is both man-made and nature-made. Um, and sometimes they're for quality reasons and cup reasons, and they want more florals or more chocolates or more stone fruits. Um, and sometimes they're for, we just need fucking more coffee. Yeah. And we need a pen. <laughs> like the Colombian Federation of Coffee Growers, they said, we don't care about quality as much as we care about our farmers not losing their plants to um, a disease that was going around called rust. And rust goes onto the, it's an airborne spore that attaches itself to leaves and basically covers the leaf um, with uh, what looks like copper powder. And the plant attacks the leaf as opposed to giving nutrients to its cherries, mm-hmm. to its coffee. And so the plant will produce cherry, but it will lose all of its leaves because they'll be dying and they'll be putting all their energy. And then over the course of a year, they'll have no leaves, but tons of cherry. And then the next year, and then so those cherries are really like, they have no nutrients, no quality because uh, they grew without any nutrients going to them, no energy going to them. And um, you need to spray and you need to plant better and you need to have new tissue. So um, they created strands that were, or they found strands that were rust resistant. And that was more important to the Coffee Federation than quality. Turns out you can have you can have both. You can have best of both worlds, but it's also a fine line because mm-hmm. there's no there's no given plant that makes best quality and rust resistant, drought resistant, and high yield in all conditions. Sure. Because obviously Kenya is different growing conditions in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is different growing conditions than low grown Nicaragua, and or lower in um, altitude than like Nicaragua. So. The world is a vastly different place, you know, and uh, there's traditions that uh, affect how coffee tastes and grows, and then there's actual physical um, geography of places, too, that changes it, so it's crazy. It's a, it's a freaking Pandora's box. I agree. Yeah, no, that's it's a, crazy. It's a super interesting to me how complex coffee can be, not just in taste, but when I was watching your presentation, just for me, it's just, yeah, I go get coffee and... Yeah, I buy good coffee, man. Like, I, yeah, I want I want people when they come into Tipico to feel like they're just getting a cup of coffee. Yeah, and and I do for sure. And I want them to be able to say like, I want to f- go like fucking geek out for a second. I want them to be able to say that and come here and do that because that's that's the line that we're going to straddle. Like the majority of people that come in here, they're they're going to want to talk about how it's cool that they're getting an avocado toast in Buffalo for the first time. Sure, um, and that's great. And then they're also, oh, I'll take a quick cup, too. Yep. And that's why I called it quick cup, because yep. I want them to think it's it's unpretentious, it's great, it's easy, and it's going to cost the same amount of money every single time. And it's quick. It's done. There it is. But Take your coffee, get up. They want to pour over <laughs> that costs five bucks. Great. If they want to pour over that costs eight bucks, because it's a super specific variety that was manufactured to taste like this. Cool. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Let's geek out. Let's talk about where this farmer was growing, and why he's growing it, and what's happening. So... That's yeah, really cool. Before we we wrap this up, I I just have a quick question. It's like a yes or no answer. If it's a yes, I'd like you to go into the detail. <laughs> Went to a local establishment and uh, <clears throat> the coffee. Uh, one of the coffees was it just an Ethiopian. Now I asked. I was like, "What region is this from? Am I an asshole for asking what region that's from?" Or 
Am I just uh, no? Concerned you're, you're definitely not. A, you're definitely not an asshole. Um, first for asking that. Okay. Um, calls you an asshole. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, the uh, answer no. swayed me away from it. Yeah. Um, the the asking that is not. I mean, uh, that's being in. That's wanting to be an educated consumer. Um, if you like Ethiopian coffee, that's great. Very but much e- do. As we just talked about, Ethiopia is a large country. Ooh, sure. Um, and it'd be like saying, uh, um, I mean, it's not absurdly different than saying this beef comes from North America. Right. And you going, well, I don't want North American beef. Yeah. Uh, I would prefer like New York State or like Western New York beef. Is that available? Yeah. And asking, hey, can you, you know, Portlandia makes fun of so many things and they sure. make fun of that specific kind of idea. But that doesn't mean that it's a wrong mentality to have where you, you know, if you went in there saying like, well, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you want to give me an Ethiopian coffee? Yeah. Well, where's it from in Ethiopia? What That's I did a dick was thing to say. I smashed their counters and left. Yeah, yeah, smashing yeah. things <laughs> is good. I smashed you know, their as display a case. Owner, I would say smash away. Uh, smash your display pretty, case. Just, you know, sends yeah. me a lesson. And Made a scene. It teaches me, you know, so that I need to change. That'll learn you. Yeah. And then yeah. I left. But um, no, no, you're not an asshole for asking <laughs> at all. At all. It's, uh, it's how you would ask it that could make an asshole. And um, preface it. It's also knowing where you're at. Like if you go into a Starbucks and say like, <laughs> Guatemala Reserve, <laughs> where is it from? And then like requiring the barista to tell you that she just works here yeah. and doesn't know. Yeah. Like then that's kind of an asshole thing to do. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. So it depends. I mean, yeah. It'd I'm be sure. it'd be like asking the cash register at Tops what farm the avocados came from. I mean, I was just generally curious because I was hoping she would be like, oh, it's an Urdu chef. I'm like, yeah! What was the answer? I think it was Guji. Guji? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, Sadama. Sadama, yeah. She said, it's Sadama. And I said, okay. That's great, she knows. I was like, cool. I'll have the other one. Cool. Because, you know, Sadama. Sadama's great. Yeah, I mean, I get my Sadama here and there, but I was yeah. just like, all right, cool. I'm going to try <laughs> this one. I don't remember. What I, I think I got Rainforest Crunch. I was like, what the fuck is Rainforest Crunch? She was like, it's got hazelnut. I'm like, okay. Well, yeah. Go. No, I, I changed what Jesse said. You're an asshole. Well, which is why I smashed the display case. What region is this Ethiopian coffee from? Give me the shit that came from the Rainforest. Yeah, coffee. I wanted that fucking Black Panther <laughs> shit. Yeah, the Rainforest Crunch. Look yeah. at that Rainforest Crunch. Uh, oh, yeah. Jesus. Sounds like a cereal. Sounds so delicious. what we've learned is I need coffee essence, uh-huh. and Dave's an asshole. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say uh, you need some manners, but you know. Coffee essence, man, yeah. It's, it's good. I, I don't know how to... I, what do I, I don't get? know how to replicate it exactly. How do we get? Or if we should. But yeah. we can. We can try. Let's let's make that. If you're happen. gonna try, you let me know. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll drink be some here. Lessons. You'll be the first. I'll try some lessons. Yeah, that sounds like some black magic shit. I can yeah. get down on. That's some chicanery that I'm into. Eat the chicken at Pukal and have Maria Zelaya tell you about uh, where her roses came from. That's and okay. And drink coffee. Sure. That's, that's the that's the jam right there. That okay. sounds like an excellent day. Done. Okay. Sold. So, on that note, um, we'll bring it to an end. Jesse Krause, typical coffee, right? Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah, thanks for having us. How do, having uh, me or how, do, how do people get a hold of you besides coming into Typico? Um, follow us on Instagram at Typico Coffee, Facebook, uh, Typico Coffee, Twitter. 
Um, info at typicalcoffee.com, uh, 128 Fargo Avenue. Uh, and yeah, yeah we, tr- we try to be around our website, typicalcoffee.com. Um, but yeah, we're most active on Instagram and, and Facebook. So, Very cool. All right, man. Have a good evening. You too, guys. Have a lovely evening.